This right here is the Twibby Larry. You are now listening to Twib FM. Real talk, real awesome. Finally, I'm finally free. Finally, I'm finally me. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. Tonight is an amazing show. Our show is about diversity in comic books and particularly speaking about Black female lead protagonists in comic books. So we have two amazing guests here to talk about that. Um, Our guests are Afua Richardson, who is the illustrator behind the comic Genius and also the creator of Princeless, Jeremy Whitley. So before we get to our guests, as always, I just want to make a couple of announcements, and then I'll toss it over to our co-hosts tonight, which are Tatiana and Grace. For our announcement, first, when you listen in live on TWIB, I'll tweet out the links. It's www.twib.fm forward slash live. You can go to the chat room to listen in. Also, you can follow us using that hashtag BGM podcast. Feel free to ask any questions that you may have of our guests. Uh, Leave any comments that you'd like to uh, discuss with other listeners via Twitter. And um, make sure if you want to talk to us, you can call. So the number is 718-404-404. 9320. We have some space available on blackgirlnerds.com for ads. I get a lot of tweets from you guys and emails requesting to have a lot of your content promoted. And um, if you don't know already, I just want to encourage you to check out blog ads. There's a right sidebar on the website where you can purchase ad space and that will stay on there for as long as you want. It's a really great way to promote your content and we get a lot of heavy traffic. So um, there's a lot of presence that's there that will lead folks to, you know, whether you're a comic book illustrator or if you're a filmmaker or or content creator of some sort, check that out and um, purchase that ad space because it is available now on blackgirlnerds.com, which you should be bookmarking by the way. And Tomorrow, because I always love doing these things for you, you guys have supported Black Girl Nerds in so many different ways. Not only do you purchase ad space, but you also buy our products on Zazzle.com forward slash Blurgasm, where you can purchase mugs and T-shirts and things of that nature. But I also like to pay it forward by doing giveaways. So tomorrow, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, be on the lookout. Um, If you're following the BGN account on Twitter, you'll see it. And if you're already a subscriber to the blog posts that come through on Black Girl Nerds, you'll also see it. But we are giving away a great device. I won't tell you now because I'm going to wait till tomorrow, but it's a great telecommunications device um, that you will really like. And make sure that when you do enter, you put your comments on the blog posts and there's a question that will be asked and you just answer that question and that automatically enters you to win. So that giveaway will be happening tomorrow, 8 a.m. Eastern Time on the Black Girl Nerds website. All right, so I am gonna toss the virtual mic over to our co-hosts. As I mentioned before, our co-hosts tonight are Tatiana and Grace. So in that order, just introduce yourselves, tell us where you're from, your Twitter handle, any current projects that you're working on. Hi, um, I'm Tatiana. Um, I am in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, Right now I'm taking a game with Girl Development here, a class with Girl Development here in Philly to learn how to make a game using uh, touch, which is like with Microsoft, it's really interesting. So my hope is to learn how to make games. Um, my website is driven by Tatiana, which is also my handle on twitter.com. And I'm trying to focus more on geek and tech and pop culture type of stuff. Hello, hello everyone. I am Grace um, and I am from Illinois by way of ATL, now living in the Bay Area in Oakland. I'm out here pursuing uh, the PhD in African American Studies and my research deals with comic books, of course. So um, it's great to be on today. Looking forward to uh, talking with both Jeremy and Afua and uh, yeah, excited. Awesome. Good stuff. So I'm going to introduce our guests and then we're going to get to our questions. Jeremy Whitley is a writer living in Raleigh, North Carolina with his wife, Alicia and daughter, Zuri. 
He attended the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, where he received his bachelor's degree in English with a minor in creative writing. Princeless, written by Jeremy Whitley, with art by a number of creative teams featuring the teenage Princess Adrienne, a princess who decides that she does not need a prince to rescue her and becomes a hero in her own right. Princeless became a major hit for the company, garnering five nominations in 2012 Glimpse Comic Awards, Story of the Year, Best Writer, Best Artist, Best Female Character, and Best Cover, and two nominations at the 2012 Eisner Awards for Best Single Issue and Best Publication for Kids, giving the company both industry and worldwide recognition. Afua Richardson is a digital penciler, inker, and colorist. She has worked in comics for years, including at Marvel, DC, and Image, under her own name and pseudonyms, Lakota Sue and Dr. Fu. Her comic genius with writers Mark Bernadine and Adam Freeman won Top Cow's 2007 pilot season and will be published this year as a miniseries. Her work on Genius has been nominated for the 2009 Glimpse Awards for Best Story, Best Artist, Best Female Character, Best Cover, and Fan Award. She also works as a singer-songwriter and a seasoned musician, graphic artist, and budding voice actor. Welcome to the show. Hey. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes, thank you for being on. So um, my first question is for a few. Um, I wanted to know, how did you first get attached to the comic genius? It was pretty interesting. At the time, um, I was just a musician. Like Comics for me, even though I had been published a while, um, was still a hobby, and uh, I decided to take my first vacation in uh, 2006 to San Diego Comic-Con, and I walk right up to Mark Silvestri and hand him a postcard with some of my artwork and say, hey, love your stuff. Here is a postcard of my stuff. And six months later, I get a call, which is kind of amazing. So I'm super grateful for that. Awesome. And then, Jeremy, Princeless, it, it's such an inspiring story, especially for young girls. Um, did you create this comic based off of personal experiences with your own daughter? How did you come to create the story of Princeless? Um, it was it was a lot like that. It was actually, we started making it before my daughter was born. And the idea was, you know, I was looking at comics, and I've always loved comics and wanted to make uh, comics. And I was already doing a couple at that point. And I wanted something that I could share with my daughter that she could see, you know, herself as a young black woman reflected in and that she could actually have like a positive role model in comics and somebody to relate to. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of that in comics or hasn't been in the past. So, um, you know, I, I found sort of what I wanted to do and, uh, I created that, you know, with her in mind and, uh, She's three now, so she's still uh, not quite at the point of uh, being able to read it. But she recognizes, you know, Adrian and calls her uh, girl that fights. And, Aww. Uh, yeah, is is starting to develop some love of, of comics herself. So. And Tatiana, um, we'll go to you and then Grace for the questions and go in that order. Okay, so next question is for Afua. Uh, how long have you been an illustrator? And as a black woman, what has been your experience working in the comic book industry? I have been an illustrator for 4,000 years. No. Um, <laughs> That's it? <laughs> no, I started around 2007. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, actually 2004 with a creator-owned comic. Uh, it was actually erotica which is partially why I went under a pseudonym. But at the same time, I was a musician. So um, a friend of mine, Brandon Graham, who writes amazing comics, was just like, hey, you should take my job doing comics because I'm moving to Portland. I was like, that makes no sense, but I will do this. And that was my first published, terrible, awful, black and white comic. But it was a really great learning experience for me because after you pass that, I'm published threshold. It's like, okay, well, what else can I do? After um, after a, a terrible comic whose name I don't even want to mention, um, I, I started doing 
uh, anthologies in uh, 24-7, that uh, robot anthology under Image Comics, uh, a pinup here, a cover there, and eventually that culminated in my doing Genius. The interesting part about being a Black woman in comics is it seems to be a bigger deal for the fans than it is editors. Mm -hmm. And the largest, uh, I want to say, hurdle that I think many creators face is the thought that they themselves can't do comics because they don't see people who look like them. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Or they think mm -hmm. their topic won't be accepted because it features a protagonist of color. And that's a terrible, terrible spell that needs to be broken. Initially, it was a little difficult to get critique. And I think that was the hardest part for me. I wanted authentic critique for people to tell me, hey, this is great, work on this. But because I was a woman, it was almost as if I was this rare elf who appeared at comic conventions that they didn't want to scare away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, oh no, here's, here's, a, here's a strange black girl who likes comics and video games and anime. Don't scare her off by telling her the truth about her artwork. And maybe people just wanted to be really nice, but I didn't need that. I, I needed honest critique. So I went under an alias and started posting online because people are very, very straightforward when they just see your work. And, and that I think is um, one of the great things about being in this industry. If you can do the work and you can do it on time or they like you, any two of those three, then you can do really well. And just knowing what you're capable of is absolutely fundamental. So any creators out there who think, oh, well, I am black and therefore I cannot, I am not welcome in comics. That is a lie. It is a bold-faced lie. Just be good and yes. be amazing. Like, don't just copy your favorite artist. Be flipping amazing and be of service. Like, I know that sounds totally preachy, but find how you can bring something new to the industry, like any industry. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll that is my soapbox and I will get off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wow, that's 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 deep, and and thank you for for that. That's that's real talk right there. Uh, the next question we have is for Jeremy. Why do you think diversity is important in comic books specifically? I think, um, you know, comic books has been, especially superhero comics, is is a larger you know larger part of the industry is very much about empowerment and about you know, showing that you can, you can make a difference, you can do things, um, you know, all the way back to, you know, characters like, uh, like Spider-Man and Superman when they first came in, you know, it was about showing that, you know, you could, you could do something special, you could be something special. And I think when, for whatever reason, whether it be, you know, unintentional or intentional, people, you know, hold that to just guys or just, mm -hmm white guys specifically, um, you know, and, and leave out the, the diversity of the world around them. Um, you know, in a lot of cases, those are the people who most need to see those images, especially, you know, as kids, you know, it's not, it's not as common for, you know, a young black girl to be able to pick up, uh, whether it be a book or a comic book or anything like that and see an image of a character that looks like her, um, who is, you know, a hero. Um, and, you know, that's, that's rough. Like as, as a white guy, I can walk into a comic store and pick up literally 90% of the books. And there's a guy that looks like me to some extent, you know, he's, you know, he's a 20, 30 something, you know, white guy with either brown or blonde hair, 90% um, of those books. And I think that when you don't include the rest of the world in that, not only do you know, those other people not get that message, but they have no reason to be part of your community. Like, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I don't like it, it struck me that, you know, my wife was into comics growing up, but neither of her younger sisters were. And, you know, it, when I started writing princess, it became a question of like, why, why weren't they into comics? Why had they never read comics? It had never, 
been a thing that they were even interested in. And, you know, the more I looked at it, the more I realized, like, there's nothing there for them. Like, they don't see themselves in these stories. There's, you know, whether it's intentional or not, you know, any kind of lack of representation for them. So, you know, why would they want to be part of that community when they can't can't see themselves reflected in it at all? I think it's important for the fans and for the stories and for the companies themselves because, you know, there's only... I feel like there's a finite number of stories about average white guys becoming super white guys. That you can tell. <laughs> right. <laughs> May I add to that? That's such a, that's so beautifully stated and it reminded Absolutely. me of so many things. Like I remember the lyrics of this Prince song, like dreams are the life you lead. Mm. And I remember, you know, being a little girl and, picking up the X-Men and thinking, man, I love Nightcrawler because he was blue. Yes. And that was my favorite color. It could just be as simple <laughs> as that. But we think about what superheroes are for children. They're the new mythology. They're the archetypes mm-hmm. that they fashion themselves after. Mm-hmm. And if there's not a mirror for them, then they'll have this association with, themselves according to what they've been given um and and what do we have as black folks what sort of archetypes do we have portrayed at us we have these very ground-based associate yourself or identify yourself with money and sexual prowess Mm -hmm. you know and that's a terrible way to be because there's so much more to being black than that there's so much more to being black than you know, slavery and hip hop. Right. Mm-hmm. Even though that's an important part of our history, it's not the only part. Right. And the fact that that just gets, you know, oh, well, your family is just descended from slaves, that might not necessarily be true. Not all, I mean, slavery happened, that happened, but there are other archetypes in which to identify ourselves with. And I think providing those niches for people to see themselves potentially is sculpting people's lives and sculpting how people see themselves. So it's, it's super important to create these different characters. I I know for me, like (laughs) having these different characters in which to, to vicariously win in life is important. And I, I love being a part of that. Uh, I, I absolutely do. Like, I, I'm going to be drawing the new Captain America. Which, oh, yes. Oh, wow. At least the cover for it. So once I got that news, I was, I was so hopping up and down my hallway. Yes. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's a big deal. That is yes. a big deal. I, and I'm so honored to be a part of that, that change. Because a hero can be brown, a hero can be a black angel, it can be Southeast Asian. You know, there's so many cultures and so many like amazing stories that can be included in comics and people will accept it. It, it, It's not, it's assumed that it's a niche audience, that black comics are only for black people. And Mm -hmm. let's, let's just erase all that that nonsense with good stories and good characters. I think, I think that's a, a important point that's been brought up to me a lot, like while writing Princeless and, you know, talking to people at conventions is that, um, well, my motivation was, you know, largely for my daughter to be able to see herself. I think it's important that other kids see, you know, uh, that women and black women can be heroes as well. Cause you know, they're only presented with, a certain, you know, depending on where they live, they may not meet, but maybe a handful of black people for a good portion of their lives. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think in some cases that's where weird racial phobias come from is, you know, they don't, they don't know any better. They just see, you know, the only images of black people they see on TV are, you know, not good, obviously. (laughs) um, (laughs) You know, and I, I think it's important it's important to have, you know, characters like, um, you know, the, the characters that, you know, Fua has in Genius. But I also think, you know, that it's important in things like 
fantasy and sci-fi yeah. to have black characters as well because that was like that was a big thing for me is you know when i was working on this book uh like princess and the frog came out while like we were starting working on it and everybody was like oh it's it's a black princess thing it's totally gonna kill your thing and i was like why does the only black disney princess have to be based in like a physical time and place like she is like sleeping beauty is in a magical world snow white is in a magical Mm -hmm. world like all these characters are in this like totally disconnected fantasy world and you know tiana gets stuck in new orleans and it's a very like grounded in the time kind of thing so like I mean, it's a good thing that that character exists, but why can't the black princess be a fantasy princess too? Like, right. that's, that's, so that's true. messed up. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even notice that. That's really true. Yeah. So I think we can all agree that we hate the princess and the frog. Now, no, I've was... <laughs> 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 to start that fight. Um, well, well said. And if we were, I, I was also a Nightcrawler fan, so I'm so glad that you brought him up. Yeah. I was like, <gasps> He was my crush. Gambit and Nightcrawler were yes. my says. Yes. High uh, fives through the internet. High fives. Yes. <laughs> Virtual high fives. So um, I read Genius. Amazing book. I love it. And um, I, I was really curious to find out from you uh, with the character of Destiny or any of the other characters in the story, did you have any kind of personal attachment to either the story or the characters? Because it's it's a pretty rough story um, to begin with. For those that are listening that may not be privy to Genius, it deals with uh, Destiny is the lead protagonist, black female, and she's sort of like this renegade um, warrior who is um, fighting all of the social injustice that's happened um, due to law enforcement, um, which it's very telling because a lot of what's happened recently in the news parallels with the story of genius. Mm-hmm. So um, talk to us a little bit about that. Did you connect with the story personally or? Absolutely. At first I didn't quite understand. And uh, I say that um, because of, in my own experience, uh, I grew up in New York city and during my teens, you know, my family had a lot of troubles. My dad had to go in one direction, my mom in the other, and I was kind of left in New York by myself. And I didn't have a place to stay. I was homeless. I couch hopped. Sometimes I slept on the subway. So survival was just, that was at the forefront of my mind. And yes, you know, I experienced a lot of racism, but unfortunately it was from different people of color which was odd and in creating this book I started doing research and I started seeing you know oh uh there are different conversations about the CIA and they're selling drugs to undesirable neighborhoods that they were purposefully bringing crack to inner cities that there's such a thing as eugenics, that there's an intentional culling of the population. I know that sounds totally like conspiracy theory, but when you consider people like the founder of Planned Parenthood saying things like, um, I I should look it up because I don't even want to misquote it. Um, Margaret Sanger, eugenics. <laughs> I mean, it's just very, it's very telling. Um, let's say we don't want the word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And the minister is the man who can straighten out the idea if it ever occurs to any of the more rebellious members. Mm-hmm. Now, this coming from the person who founded uh, Planned Parenthood. Wow. And on the surface, that sounds like, hey, you know, people should have choices about their reproduction. That sounds wonderful. In the same swing, she feels that people should, maybe not everyone should breed. And that Blacks and Asians and anyone who's not white is a pest and should be exterminated. And so those kinds of people being in government and dictating policy will create welfare states, will create generational poverty, will create police and uh, a police force that will intentionally go after minorities 
because it's a for-profit industry. And so all of that, you know, was coming into my mind sphere while I'm creating genius, like, oh, wow, there's, I mean, you hear about the corruption, but then to see the details and to see how blatant it is, it, it's kind of stunning. So I started in addition to creating this book, I started doing my own form of activism, going out and and painting murals, doing my own research, getting experts and engineers and things like that to do these different presentations, speaking to police officers, speaking to old retired police officers who are a little bit looser about saying, yeah, you know, we were told to go in and sell drugs to particular neighborhoods. And what does that say about, um, (laughs) <laughs> the state of affairs that, that Ferguson is a long time coming. And it's not just from white people attacking black people. That's the paradigm that wants to be maintained because if that's what everyone thinks, then we're going to be separated. Mm-hmm. But if we see that Fer- Ferguson is not an isolated incident, right. that it's been happening everywhere mm-hmm. to many different kinds of people, then people will say, okay, so it's not necessarily you know, these colored people's fault. Let's start look paying attention to whose fault it actually is. And that for me, like in creating destiny, I felt like I was becoming destiny. Maybe not, you know, going on a shooting spree and <laughs> <laughs> up against like the LAPD. No, <laughs> no Rambo style for me. But in kind of opening my mind to seeing how social engineering is created, that there's going to be propaganda in schools, there's going to be propaganda in the media, and it's going to be up to us to not only change the archetypes and the paradigms, but to do the research and find out what the story is and not just his story because the victor tells the story. So we've got to kind of like reclaim our past and start putting it in media and the media that we create to sort of re-educate people. And once again, my soapbox is heavy. (laughs) (laughs) I'll toss it over to Tatiana for her next question. Yeah. All right. So, um, my next question is for Afua. <laughs> uh, do you have <laughs> any personal projects going on now that people can buy? I guess aside from like the yeah, genius or anything. Um, I have a lot of prints on AfuaRichardson.com, but at the moment I'm working on a creator-owned project with Dark Horse called Lady Danger, featuring oh. a, um, a secret agent who is a woman of color, and so is her. Uh, commanding officers who kind of looks like a cross between Grace Jones and um oh my goodness I just had a brain fart what is her name from 12 years of slave oh Lupita Uh, Nyong'o thank you yes (laughs) (laughs) and Grace Jones thank you Lupita and Grace yes she has wonderful gold guns named Sekhmet and um Oh, see, look, I'm just having brain farts all over the place. Um, But yes, that is a project that I'm working on that should be out in January. And I'm also working on uh, a one shot of Wonder Woman. And next year I should be launching a Kickstarter for my mermaid book called Aquarius. Oh, I'm an Aquarius. Yay! Yay! (laughs) Cool. All right, well, I'm going to flip it on to Jeremy, and this question is for you. So as we've already stated, and many of us, if not all of us, have read uh, Princeless, and it's a, truly an amazing topic. And so um, upon the creation of it, did you encounter any challenges between writing it or even promoting it or even both writing and promoting? Um, yeah, I think at the beginning it was uh, it was a little bit of a, a tough sell to some folks when I was you know first getting it out there, um, but I think uh, Action Lab had sort of the you know the opposite feeling about it, and when they when they saw it initially, they were like, yeah, this is something we'd like to do. Like I had another artist I was working with at that point who had kind of uh, moved on to do some other things, so I just had a you know one issue that I was carrying around with me, and um, you know my 
editor on the book now, Dave Dwanch, was you know next to me at a convention and really liked it. So, uh, you know, they were putting together the press, and it was one of the first books they wanted to do. Um, you know, so they they picked it up, and um, since then, I I think I've had a lot of we've had a lot of people come on board with Action Lab, people like. Um, Jamal Eigel and uh, Ray Height, people like that, who have come on and said, you know, the reason I knew about Action Lab was because, you know, I love Princeless or my kids love Princeless or whatever. And that's, you know, that book was what made me want to come here. And that's, that's really cool to me um, that, you know, that, that book has touched, you know, people who are way ahead of me and, you know, a career in the industry. Um, and then I think the biggest, um, biggest issues I've had from there promoting it have been largely internet based issues. Um so, you know, I'm I'm on Tumblr, which uh I know a lot of a lot of folks follow me on Tumblr. And um I get to do kind of uh it feels like almost a weekly at this point. Like uh some somebody'll jump on and uh decide they want to say some really just heinous, terrible stuff oh uh, to me about Ooh. about the book or uh what uh, about? Well, <laughs> how so, can you say something bad about Princeless? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was asking myself. So, so, how is that I got, possible? I got, I'm really a long, to it. I got a long. Com- well, I got a short comment about um, like, uh, do I awesome. just hate myself? Do I just hate uh, white people in general? Oh. Is that why? Oh, uh, oh, 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 no, no. no. So it's it's become a practice for me to kind of school people on Tumblr. Um, so. I, you know, I've had that and I, I got into, um, I've got into a couple arguments with folks. And then when it first came out, you know, um, I also had sort of some, some negative reactions from the other side. Cause you know, there are a lot of, uh, a lot of folks who are inclined to assume the worst when they see, you know, a, a white guy writing a thing that involves black people, um, you know, I've had some, uh, some people that were worried that? about the, uh, the status quo. No, <laughs> I've had people that were worried about, you know, the the king is uh, too too stereotypically an angry black man. Um, oh. And I was like, well, you know, he is angry, but that has very little to do in this case with the fact that he's black, more that he's king, and right. he has to deal with a lot of things as king. Um, so, you know, if you'd rather I didn't have a black king, that would be weird. Um, but. <laughs> Um, so, you know, there's, there's that. And I've had, uh, <laughs> I had somebody come after me at one point about how, uh, I was, you know, trying to, uh, exploit black people to make a ton of money. And I had, oh my to, God. uh, you know, yeah. I think they have a weird impression of how much money comics make. Um, <laughs> right. Cause, <laughs> cause it's not a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, was, I, I think, you know, there's some, there's some, really like merited distrust there i think people are uh inclined to see something and before they even read it just kind of assume the worst but i think as it's become something that you know more people have read more people um you know have come to to champion or at least like that it's something that you know people have become more accustomed to being like okay it's 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 not it's not bad sit back and look at it and you know judge it and that's okay um and i i don't i don't really mind that um you know i i occasionally get people that just uh jump on tumblr and go crazy racist but uh that's the internet so <laughs> yeah that's you know that's uh, something you get it's something for for un- unfortunately that uh you know you got to deal with being on the internet and i like I just, I, at some point I was getting like crazy angry about it. And then I just had to kind of sit back and uh, remind myself that like the things that I experience occasionally on the internet are things that um, women and particularly women of color experience on the internet every single day. So um, I was like, you know, maybe it's not so bad. Like I'm going to chill. So yeah, I, I think, I've I've gotten some criticism, but for the most part, like it's been overwhelmingly positive, and um, I think it's one of the craziest experiences that I've had is uh, I had this I did a whole bunch of conventions this year. I'll be I'll have done sixteen by the end of the year. Oh my god! Uh, wow. Yeah, but there was a 
a spur of like three conventions in a row where like grown women cried on me. Why? Oh, wow. And, and I was like, I, I don't know how to handle that. It was the craziest thing. Like I was at this convention is in South Carolina and um, I had just done a panel and this lady came up to me and she's like, you know, my daughter really loves princeless. Like she's really into that book. And, you know, I'm really excited about it. She took it in to school to show, you know, the other girls in her class and they really like it. And it's such a great thing. And I just, I just, I just, and I was like, Oh no, Oh no, it's happening. I, was like, I just really wish I'd had something like that as a kid that I could see myself in. And I was like, okay, here, give me a hug. I just don't, don't cry. It's okay. So yeah, that was, it happened like three conventions in a row. Oh. Um, and I was like, well, I guess I must be doing something right. <laughs> so. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I well, that kind of leads me to my next question with you, Jeremy. Um, I mean, obviously, aside from the people on Tumblr, um, how have fans reacted to Princeless? And what has been your demographic? I mean, this is a comic book that's sort of kind of catered to young girls, but um, overall fans that have uh, given you feedback or have told you that they've been interested, what's been the demographic on that? Um, it's, I feel like it's a really wide demographic. I feel like, um, you know, I've, I've gotten a lot of um, young girls, which is really like, that's what I'm aiming for. Like I want, I want this to be a comic that young girls can pick up because there's not enough of those already. Um, but I've had a lot of um, people that have been, have been longtime comics fans. Um, a lot of dads actually, who, you know, have come up to me at cons and been very excited about the book because, you know, they're excited that they can read this with their kids, you know, with their daughters, that it's a thing that they feel good about sharing with them. Um, that's, you know, not, exploitative in the you know either in the story or in the art um which is unfortunately uh, rare in mainstream comics at least um so you know i've i've had a lot of a lot of dads and a lot of um you know women who have been reading comics for a long time and and i've it feels like they've been like waiting for something like this that, you know, they've been fans of characters like, you know, storm and misty night and Vixen who are out there, but only get to show up like every so often to do, you know, a story as a part of a team book. Um, and, you know, very excited to you know, have, have this book and to, to read it and are very uh, upset that it took me like a year to get the next volume out. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, I think it's it's been a very wide audience, and I, I feel like I feel like it's getting wider, which is awesome. Because um, you know, I this is the first year I feel like where I've had people that um, you know have run up to my table and been like, "Oh, I'm so excited to see you! I'm so excited to meet you! I love this book! This is great!" Whereas you know, the first couple of years it was like me trying to grab people out of the aisles and be like, "Look, look at this thing! I made it! It's good!" <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Tatiana, you got a question? Yeah, I do. Um, I don't know if this is like an uneducated question, but I was just wondering, is there also like a huge demand for comics for children under the age of, between like the ages of like six to like 13? So a lot of comics are made for adults, um, not even really teenagers, just like a lot of superheroes and even like saga and like morning glories and stuff are for people like in their 20s and up. So do you think there's like a huge like space for people to create more comics for like middle schoolers and like elementary school kids? Um, and do you think that your comic sort of fulfills part of that demand? Because a lot of parents want to buy comics for their kids, but I don't know if like Captain America is like really super appropriate for like a 10 year old because it's kind of intense in some ways. Yeah. Um, I do think like there's, uh, there's definitely like, there's obviously been a need for some time. I feel like the comics industry as a whole is only really starting to wake up to it um, because there've been, you know, there've been books over the last five years or so that, you know, have come out through in a lot of cases through 
like not comic book publishers, but companies like Scholastic and Abrams that like make real books. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm putting air quotes on that. Um, <laughs> yeah, because like that, you know, they've been putting out comic books disguised as real books for the last couple of years. And, you know, there's books like uh, Raina Telgemeier's Smile and Drama um, and, um, you know, books like uh, Cleopatra in Space and Zeta the Space Girl and all these, like, fun all-ages books that, you know, I feel like the these publishers have been putting out and selling, you know, hundreds of thousands of on what seems like the download of people in comics because, like, they don't stock them at comic book stores. Comic book stores haven't seen like the need to do that, mm-hmm. but now you're getting, you're getting books like um, Gotham Academy and Ms. Marvel um, mm. that are aimed more for a more diverse audience, especially, you know, a younger audience that, you know, have young superheroes that um, I feel like with the exception of books like runways haven't been, a regular thing since, you know, back days where Spider-Man was a young teen superhero. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think there is a need. Uh, there's definitely been one. I think comics is starting to, as a whole, is starting to open up more to that. And I know, like, Dark Horse um, just started a whole line of, like, young kids' comics. So. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thank you. Um, I have a question for Afuad. I'm very much familiar with your work, as you know, and uh, I'm really curious to know about uh, your art style. Like, it's it's very, you know, flowy, poetic, beautiful. You know, I could go on and on with the adjectives. And so I was curious to know who um, who influences you most um, in your work and um, kind of like where has it kind of like evolved? Or do, have you kind of added other people who kind of influenced it or has it kind of stayed the same? I've definitely grown. Uh, thank you for the compliment. I um, I feel like every year my work is changing. And because I've had to do so many different types of styles, I feel like the opportunity to add more stuff <laughs> to mm-hmm. it is uh, ever-expanding. Like When I was younger, I was really into... Alphonse Mucha and Frank Frazetta and anyone who appeared in heavy metal comics, even though I wasn't supposed to be reading them. <laughs> uh, and then eventually that changed into anime and Hurokai Sumura, who created Blade of the Immortal. And then after that, I... I hmm. Chris Pachalo was a really big influence, but lately uh, I feel like my style has really come into its own. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I'll I'll see the different works of people and I'll see what I like about it and try to make that feeling exist in my work. That's what's up. All right. Yes, nice. thank you. I mean, I love like Renaissance painters and things like mm. that. I, I love um, like old, um, lots of like tribal art or old um, religious tapestries and things like that or uh, things that incorporate sacred geometry. Mm-hmm. and like esoteric stuff I'm, I'm really big into that cool good we got a question from twitter and this is for jeremy uh the twitter user is jason johnson uh he asked do you think that being a white male made it easier for you to get princeless buy-in from a publisher hmm. um it's an interesting question because like i feel like in a lot of cases that would be advantageous and as as I am a white male, it's hard for me to say a hundred percent one way or the other. Um, but in the case of Action Lab, like my editor is Filipino American, and my the president of the company, you know, at that time was uh, black, and um, it's a pretty diverse group. So I'm not sure that in that group that it it would have made the difference that you know it it may you know at that point or even now at a larger publisher because, um, you know, it's a, it's a small and uh, pretty diverse group, but action lab. So maybe, I don't know. It, it's impossible. <laughs> I, you know, I know my, 
I know racism well enough that like I can't rule that out. But right. uh, you know, it's it's hard it's hard to say that it probably would have. I can't imagine that uh, they would have shut it down coming from somebody else. And and this question is for Fuo with Genius. Um, I had mentioned before that there's a lot of parallels with what has been happening with Ferguson and just in general with excessive uh, police violence on people of color. Um, so has what's happened recently had any kind of impact on Genius? Um, what What has been the atmosphere with how fans have reacted to reading the comic since it's been launched? Uh, it's I, I want to say that it's unfortunately had a great response because of what's happened in Ferguson, because the parallel is so uncanny. Right. That it almost feels prophetic, but I started working on this many years ago because I had so much to draw from that already existed. There's so many cases where, yes, men and women of color, but also not <laughs> men and women of color who've been brutalized by the police. And the fact that it's being reflected and people are standing up and saying, yeah, you know what? No, you're supposed to be of service. And how is this any different than earlier revolutions that stood up against tyranny? Maybe the fact that, um, you know, they're not evenly matched as far as weaponry is concerned. Um, but in terms of the response to genius, like it, it's been a great platform, I feel, for people to start to have the conversation, which is all I really want. And I, I feel like I, even though it's not a creator-owned property, it feels like it is because I've created the look of the characters and they're, they're mine. No, I've poured like different aspects of my personality into each of these characters. So the very like stern, very driven parts of me are in destiny, the kind of playful, but maybe showy and um, sillier parts of me are in her sidekick, Siobhan. And then the nerdy kind of conspiracy, I'm going to stay locked up in my room for 12 hours and play a video game <laughs> is in her other sidekick. But um like I said, if, if anyone's paying attention, they'll see that Ferguson is not an isolated incident, but this also happened in Boston. This also happened in Florida. This this happens all the time, more than it should. And people need to start paying attention, not only when it's a person of color, but when it happens, period. Right. Because we're going to be united. You want people to pay attention and to be outraged when that happens to any human being. Exactly. And then I had one more question and we'll get to our co-host questions. Sure. Um, I know there was an incident where you had to explain about the cover art for Genius <laughs> and that the, <laughs> I had saw this on the blog and apparently the character was a little too sexualized. So can you talk yeah. a little bit about that controversy that stemmed from the kind of cover art that's on the Genius uh, books? Yeah, on, on the very uh, first cover, I had the protagonist, Destiny, sitting in a chalk line of, uh, you know, a, a victim chalk line of a crime scene wrapped in caution tape. Mm -hmm. Now, this was meant to be metaphorical and also a re reflective of part of the story. And I went into great detail on uh, FooRichardson.com in a blog post called The Controversy of Creation because... I meant for it to be symbolic and it was taken literally that, you know, people were saying things like, Oh, well, why, why does she have to be laying down and submissive? Why, why, why she got to be half naked though? She's supposed to be a genius. That, did they really sound like that when they were? <laughs> <laughs> I wish, I, I wish they did. They, they did in my mind while I read this on Twitter. <laughs> why? Why did they? No, let me, let me not make fun of people. So. It's like a female version of Mr. Magoo there. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it reminded me of something that the late Dwayne McDuffie said. And um, he said, uh, and a quote, if you do a black character or a female character or an Asian character, 
they aren't just that character. They represent that race or that sex, and they can't be interesting because everything they do has to represent an entire block of people. You know Superman isn't all white people, and neither is Lex Luthor. And that is something that I think I, I realized firsthand that, okay, let, let's think about the average 17-year-old. More than likely, guys, they're having sex. I, I'm just, I, I don't know, parents, they might not want to hear that, <laughs> but <laughs> it's happening. And within the story, the, sorry, there's a spoiler here, but the character Destiny goes to a gang leader, becomes his girlfriend, and is leading from behind the scenes, and then eventually kills him. Mm-hmm. So that was sort of, you know, part of the symbolism within that cover. But also, I wanted to draw her akin to Prometheus, who stole fire or technology from the gods and then gave them to people. So she's a strategist. And she wanted to take the gangs who were fighting each other, dismantle that, you know, self-perpetuated destruction and organize them as an army and point out who their real enemy is. And so that was what I wanted to symbolize by having the tape wrapped around her, because if you see images of Prometheus, he has this yellow-orange shawl wrapped around him. But because she's a woman of color, she can't be interesting. She can't be sexy. She can't be smart. She can't be violent. She can't be anything to anything because it'll offend someone. And I think just like Jeremy mentioned, like, oh, yeah, the the king can't be too angry because that's a bad representation of black people. I I think that's unfair. Why can't there be a a black villain and a black hero? A black, you know, sexy goddess of war. That's what I wanted to portray, not like a Maxim cover. But I, I can't control how people interpret the work. And I'm not going to apologize for it, but I wanted to put that post up to explain myself and have the opportunity for people to rethink it beyond what they've seen. Because unfortunately, sex has been used as a negative connotation. And that's another thing I want to reclaim because sexiness and, you know, strength and beauty and all these other things have been used as a negative connotation when it comes to black characters. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to reclaim that, too. (laughs) that's a really good point i think also um in that similar vein like women's bodies are so sexualized that a woman Mm -hmm. could be doing anything and it'll be immediately interpreted as sexy so if she's laying on the ground like i mean she's like you know there's like the dead like chalk around her and she's like holding like it's not a very sexual scene but because she's naked and she's a young person and she's you know you know, a female character and automatically the scene connotes sex and it's not seen in a really contextual way. It's like, Oh, a naked girl. It's a sex, like a sexy thing. And that's also like really problematic too. Is that no matter? Yeah. It doesn't matter. (laughs) No, I I totally understand. Like I, I mentioned to people, I totally understand the implications of a cover like this, Mm -hmm. but this is my argument. And this is what I wanted to present. I, I had her nude specifically because she has no army. I mean, sure, she has a bunch of guys who might have Glocks and so on, but she's going up against tanks. She's going up against drones. She's going up against paramilitary. So she just has her mind and a gun. She's naked. Exactly. So that's that's sort of, but metaphors are lost on people. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, like the guy in Guardians of the Galaxy. My hands are too quick. I will never like miss the metaphors. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Exactly. Nice. Okay. Um, Tatiana, did you have a question or no? The next question that we have lined up or a personal question? Any question. Oh, I did another question for Afua um, about your art. Um, are you classically trained or did you teach yourself how to draw? Because it's really good. Thank you. I am self-taught. Oh, awesome. Yes, I, uh, I was a musician, like a classical musician. And um, I taught myself to sing 
went on tour as a musician, a session vocalist, and then my life completely flipped around and started doing comics full time and then doing music on the side. Oh, cool. Complete reversal. But yes, I did a bunch of tutorials online. I posted in a bajillion forums. I begged my friends, tell me what's wrong with my art. <laughs> <laughs> tell me what's right with it too. And then I, I created a little group on Facebook called Dr. Foo's Lab, and I made sure I was surrounded myself with people who were better than me to kind of learn from them and then teach people what I've learned. Cool. That's very awesome. I think I I love Princeless, by the way. I, I just have to say that. Oh, thank you. Um, I love genius. And... Thank you. Like one of these days, like I've been meaning to for a while, but I really want to work on some aspect of Princeless because I like I hugged that book when I <gasps> first read it. I was just like, no. Are we going to have like a crossover work done with uh, if we were working on Princeless and then Jeremy working on genius? Can we make that happen? Let's do it. Uh, we can definitely do that on the Princeless side. Right. I think genius is wrapped up, so I, I don't know if there's much more to do. With that, so. I think they're going to continue the series. I don't know if I'll be involved in that, but that's okay. I'm glad I had part to do. Oh, with oh, that's sad to hear. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't. I mean, I was brought on as a work for hire. Even She's though be busy with off. Captain America and Wonder Woman anyway. That's yeah. true. Exactly. I'm just exactly. going to be doing a cover for Captain America, and Wonder Woman's just a one shot. So after Lady Danger. I'm kind of open next year. <laughs> I know we've been trying to work it out. But how does that work, by the way? When when you're for hire as an illustrator, is it something where you're just contracted to do a certain amount of issues and then that's it? Do you ever get put on as staff if you know you get like an overwhelming response from fans, from critics? How does that work? Well, some artists uh, end up being on contract and. I'm not one of those artists, <laughs> which is okay because um, um, it's just okay. Thankfully, a lot of work has been coming in. And as soon as I start to get to that edge where I'm just like, man, I wonder what I'm going to do next. I get a couple of calls at once. I'm like, yes. <laughs> so, you know, hopefully next year I'll be focusing more on creator own projects and sort of get enough momentum that I can make more decisions and, and take time to work on different projects that I, I want to personally and not have to sweat, sweat every time, every time the bills come in. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for putting up with all my voices, by the way. This is <laughs> yeah. I mean, like you could do just a whole show of your, your voices, your impersonations. It'd be great. Um, any any final thoughts or um, also just kind of giving a shout out to your website, your blogs, where folks can go to purchase your comics? Uh, we'll start with Afua and then Jeremy, and then we'll wrap up the show. You can find me and my work on AfuaRichardson.com. That's A-F-U-A Richardson.com. Or you can find me on Facebook in my group, Doctor D O C T A, Foo F O O S <laughs> Lab. Um, put that backslash being on Facebook, and um, I'm on Twitter and Tumblr. Look up Doctor Foo or Foo Richardson. Thankfully, there aren't many of me, so <laughs> <laughs> you can Google me and find me. Um, as for me, my uh, I'm on. I'm on Twitter. My uh, Twitter handle is, is jrome58, so it's J-R-O-M-E-5-8. Um, my Tumblr is uh, princelesscomic.tumblr.com. Um, I'm also on Facebook, and you can follow Action Lab on there as well if you want updates on Princeless stuff, which I always kind of post first to Tumblr um, and then to Twitter and so on. Um, the new volume of Princeless, uh, which is the uh, third volume, it's called The Pirate Princess, is uh, going to be in the uh, previous catalog that's coming out for comic stores in November. So if you want to pre-order it, you can go to your comic store and tell them that you want it, and they will get it in January when it comes out. And you know, if you have a box there, they'll pull it for you. They'll make sure to have it. 
Um, the first two volumes are already available, um, you know, at comic stores or bookstores or online at Amazon or Comixology, depending on how you like to read stuff, whether it's physical or digital. Uh, you can check it out either way. Um, and I am always happy to answer any questions about Princeless or comics or getting into comics in general, because I think the the biggest obstacle to people getting into comics is just figuring out how to do it. And to me, I think the best way to figure out how to do it is just to do it. So, you know, if you need help or pointers in, in any way that I can offer, which I don't know them all, um, but... <laughs> Uh, you know, let me know. Feel free to hit me up on Tumblr or Twitter or whatever. Um, I am constantly on the internet, uh, which is why I don't get as much stuff done as I should. Um, <laughs> get that, and you can, you can check out all the princess stuff. And then uh, I've been writing for uh, My Little Pony for IDW as well. So oh, wow. if oh, that's nice. your thing, you can get into that too. Uh, speaking of, you know, positive girl characters. So yeah. Oh, well, don't forget the bronies out there, you know. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, well, thank you so much to Jeremy and Afua for being on this amazing podcast. A lot of folks on Twitter were really engaged on this one. Loved your 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 commentary on this. You've got a lot of new fans. Um, there's a lot of okay. folks that are actually going to plan on buying your comics. So um, thank you again for, for coming on. And thanks to our co-hosts, Grace and Tatiana. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you. And next week, guys, we are going to do a Doctor Who podcast. That's right. As you know, I know nothing of Doctor Who. I don't watch (laughs) the show. But Lee, uncredited rewrite from Twitter, his claim to fame, by the way, is uh, he first coined the Datmuda hashtag on Twitter for how to get away with murder. So, um, <laughs> uncredited rewrite will be with us, um, and also Denzel, um, Black Chivalrous Nerd. He will also co-host with us, and we'll have special guest Jamila Rouser from Girl Gone Geek uh, to talk all things Doctor Who. And and uh, Lee will sort of steer the ship, and I'll just be in the background moderating tweets and hanging out, maybe asking a couple of questions myself. So stay tuned next week, Sunday, seven p.m. Eastern Time, right here on Twib. Thanks for listening in, guys. Take care. Bye. Finally, I'm finally free. Finally, I'm finally me. Finally, I'm finally free.